be in Matthew chapter 5. We're in a series of messages on Wednesday night on, uh, out of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached. His first several verses were called the Beatitudes. And they all begin with, Blessed are they which... And then the different idea between each one. And so tonight we're in verse number 8. We'll focus on that single verse. And I'll just throw in an advertisement for the Sunday morning series. We're preaching through the uh, book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. Uh, Solomon had a lot of dis misgivings about life. He just felt like he'd tried everything under the sun and everything the money could buy. He had plenty of money. He was a wise man in a lot of ways. But he tried a lot of things and it just didn't work to bring him peace until he finally came to the realization that life lived under the sun doesn't bring much peace, but life lived under the heaven, uh, on a heavenly scale, on a heavenly level, can be very satisfying as well as giving life eternal. In Matthew chapter number 5 and verse number 8, we'll find our text for tonight. Now you remember that these... Earlier verses we've already gone through and the, the word blessed means uh, joyful, peaceful, happy, contented. And he's, he's using, Jesus is using these particular blesseds or beatitudes to show that the person who possesses these things is naturally going to be a blessed, a happy, fulfilled person. And so... These verses are not a how to do it section, but it's instead of being a uh, thermostat, it's more of a thermometer. tells you where you're at on the scale. And it's not like you can flip a switch and just start doing one of these verses and all of a sudden you're just happy. But if you're living for the Lord, you'll experience this contentedness, this happiness as is described here. And we'll read the verse, verse number 8 of chapter number 5, or in Matthew 5. Verse number 8, single verse. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would bless us tonight. Lord, lead us to the fountain of living water. Lord, fill us with your spirit, with your word. Lord, fill us with understanding as we come before you to be fed from this manna from heaven. I pray that you just bless us as we look into the scriptures, empower us to live that life of blessed contentedness. Lord, let us see what we really are and where we ought to be. As Jesus portrayed this to the disciples he preached to on the mount that day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> now, it said... A lot of Bible students say that Matthew chapter 5 verse number 8 encompasses all the other blesseds or all the other beatitudes because if, if a person is pure in heart, these other things will be naturally included. So it's sort of an all-inclusive part. The one who is pure in heart will experience these others as well because the, the pure in heart makes these other things possible. And think of... Let me call a time out just for, for a minute from the, from the passage and just say that these things like the Beatitudes, other lessons that come through in Sunday school hour, 
sermons that come across the pulpit. Listen, if a, if a person needs private counsel, this pastor is more than happy to give private counsel. And there's times when it's necessary. But can I just tell you, and listen closely, can I just tell you that if a person is present during the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God on a consistent basis, they'll get the counsel that's coming across the pulpit and they'll seldom need it in private. Does that make sense? Because Jesus is giving His counsel right here in the Beatitudes. And every word of God, uh, the Bible says that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And as we incorporate more of the word of God into our lives, the more we'll be prepared to meet life's difficulties, life's challenges, without having to have somebody to help us untangle the knots of life when we get all tangled up. So grab a pen, or if you're really quick on the typing, on your phone, <laughs> you can keep notes. I think it will help you because is there a single person present? Do you think there's one person? Don't raise your hand. But is, would there be a single person in this crowd that never has a problem? <laughs> never? <laughs> Don't we face difficulties? Don't storms come in our lives? Don't we have questions? And we wish, boy, I wish Jesus was here where I could just ask him face to face how to solve this. Well, he's given us everything we need. In the book of 1 Peter, he says he's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. And so here, here's in, in Isaiah chapter 30, verse number 20 and 21. I want to read you this. I'm just priming the pump right now. In Isaiah chapter 30, verse number 20, you'll remember Isaiah's preaching to his fellow Israelites. They have been backslidden away from God and... Judgment is coming upon them and they're not listening to God. And here's what the prophet says. The, the day's coming, he said, when you, when you will get the word of God and you'll have your problems, you'll have answers to your problems. Here's what he says, listen. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity, adversity are the things that God was allowing to happen to Israel to chastise them and try to bring them back to him. He said, Although the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet shall not thy teachers be removed into a corner anymore, but thine eyes shall see thy teachers, and thine ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the way, walk ye in it. When you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left. So what's he saying? Isaiah saying to the Israelites, and it applies to you and me, that God puts teachers in our lives. And they're not always standing behind a podium. Sometimes it might be a wife, it might be a husband, it might be a good friend. Somebody knows the Word of God. And what, what he's saying is that, that God's going to put somebody in your life. Are you listening? God's going to put somebody in your life, and they're going to speak a word to you that if you listen, it's going to be profitable to you, and it's going to give you a, a direction, whether to turn to the right or to the left. We're always wondering, what should I do in this case or that case? What should I do with this problem? Well, God usually, for the, for the person who is listening for God's voice, God puts somebody in their life to speak a word of encouragement, a word of instruction. Maybe if you're living in sin, God might send somebody to speak a word of rebuke. 
because you're not going to be happy. You're not going to be blessed. You're not going to be content wallowing in the sin. So even those words, maybe words of rebuke, are actually valuable words. If I'm doing wrong and somebody sets me straight, that's a good friend. Well, let's think about these priceless words that Jesus spoke in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 8. I only got two points. We won't be here more than three hours. We're going to cover it quicker now. Now, Aaron and the teens back there and the Master Club. Master Club back there? Master Club's on break. So the the teens are having their class upstairs. And so Aaron's long-winded, so I can go as long as I can. I still won't get into their time, but I'm planning on being a little shorter. Number one, as we think about these words, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Notice the very first thing. And we're thinking about two main thoughts here. The pure in heart and seeing God. The pure in heart. If we can understand what that is, then we can talk about the reward of seeing God and the things that go along with it. Have you ever seen anything that's invisible? We're going to. Stick with me. So are you going to do some hocus pocus? No, we're going to do some Bible, Bible. In Matthew 5, 8, he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The purity of the heart. Now get this, the first point, because this is where we're going to be focused for a few minutes. The pure in heart, that pure heart, is the gold standard for God's expectation of His children. God didn't save us to leave us where we were when He found us. God meant to lift us up, help us to grow, move us forward to be more like Jesus. I'm going to read you a couple of verses out of the Old Testament. And I have a plan for this, so try to listen closely and I'll I'll show you what I'm talking about. There's a story in the Old Testament about Solomon making some gold shields, bucklers and targets, to go in the house of God, in the temple, out of pure gold, pure gold. Chapter 10, verse 16 of 1 Kings, it says, And Solomon made 200 targets. Now, a target was not the kind you'd shoot a bow and arrow at or a rifle at. A target, this kind of target in the Bible is, is more like a shield, but it was a full-length shield. You ever see, maybe on some of the movies you've watched, they'd be standing, the warriors would be standing behind a shield that covers them from head to toe. That, that's the kind of target he's talking about. Then he's going to mention some shields, which a shield might be, uh, a shield and a buckler might be a smaller one. It might be round, or it might be kind of a, uh, not heart-shaped, but kind of like, like a badge. Do you guys wear a badge that's star-shaped, or is one that's kind of like this? Kind of like, uh, my artwork is not very good with my fingers. <laughs> So it says, And Solomon made 200 targets of beaten gold. 600 shekels of gold went into one target. That's a lot of gold. That's more than some of you ladies got in your ring. (laughs) And he made 300 300 shields of beaten gold. Three pounds of gold went to one shield. That's a lot of gold, three pounds and one shield. That might be one of those little round ones that they'd hold up, strapped around their wrist and hold it up like that. They could move it around quickly to shield off an arrow or a spear. And they would, they would anoint those shields with, with, with an oil to make it slick so the, 
an arrow or a spear would hit it, it hit that oily surface and bounce off easier instead of piercing through it. And he made 300 shields of beaten gold. Three pound went to one shield and the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. In the house of the forest of Lebanon. And then in uh, 1 Kings 14, 25. Now keep in mind, Solomon made for the house of God, they had a temple instead of a church in the Old Testament. In the temple, uh, he made shields bunch of them out of a lot of gold. That's valuable, wouldn't you say? Now look what happens when, when uh, Solomon's son sits on the throne, Rehoboam, in 1 Kings 14, 25, it says, And it came to pass in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem, and he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He even took away all and he took away all the shields of gold which Solomon had made. And King Rehoboam made in their stead brazen shields. Now keep, remember he had golden shields. Solomon made golden shields. Those things were expensive. And man, they were, in today's uh, market, billions of dollars probably. So Shishak, the king of Egypt, comes up and attacks Jerusalem and just just takes everything out. He rampages the temple, gathers up all of the shields of gold and carries it back down to Egypt. And King Rehoboam then says, made in their stead brazen shields. These would be like brass or bronze-like shields. Now if you had your pick, would you take a shield made out of three pounds of gold or three pounds of brass? I'd rather have gold, wouldn't you? See, when Shishak stole the gold, he got something valuable away from the people of God from their house. And in its place, something else of lesser value was put up. The bronze type shields. Well, that made the king, king Rehoboam feel better. He had something up there to kind of show the people, we still got shields, but they're not as nice as they used to be. There used to be gold. Shishak stole the gold. These things were in the house of the Lord, the temple of God. Where is the temple of God in the New Testament? The saved people, each one is the temple of God. Here it is, 1 Corinthians six nineteen and verse 20. Paul said, What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God? And you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Paul's saying, look, Jesus paid for you, sinner. Jesus paid for you with his precious blood on the cross of Calvary. And when you got saved, the moment you got saved, in comes the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. And he says he'll make his abode there forever. In other words, he never leaves you. Once you get saved, the Holy Spirit lives inside you. So your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Is there a way that our temple becomes cheapened if we have brass instead of gold? Pure gold makes us more effective as Christians, more glorious as Christians. But that's what Jesus was speaking about is being pure in heart. Like those shields in the Old Testament temple were pure gold. We have inside this temple 
what could be a pure heart. And Jesus said, if you got the pure heart, then are you blessed and happy? You're content. Christians cheapen their glory by imitating this fallen world around us. If you, if you copy Hollywood and the hip-hop movement and uh, the dishonest politicians and everything else that we could mention, the materialism of this world, chasing the almighty dollar, if we pursue that and are distracted from the things of God, we have cheapened our temple. And God says those who are truly happy are going to be the ones with a pure heart. That's what we're talking about. You ever hear anybody say, somebody's asking for advice, and these are usually not Christians, sometimes it is, and just misinformed. Somebody says, well, I've got this decision to make. I, I don't know what to do about this. And somebody says, well, just follow your heart. Follow your heart? That's horrible advice. That's terrible advice. Why? Because Jeremiah 17, 9 says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Follow your heart? Your heart can lead you into all kinds of sin, all kinds of lust, all kinds of things that would be away from God. Following your heart, the Bible says that's desperately wicked. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. You know why you act the way you do? Whether it be good or bad. You know why you act the way you do? It's an issue of the heart. Whatever's in your heart leads you to be the way you are. As the old time country preacher said, whatever's down in the well is going to come up sooner or later in the bucket. That's what's in the heart. If there's something good in the heart, if the heart is pure then that's what's going to show. That's what's going to come out. If there's something wicked in the heart, then it's going to show. We used to drink water out of an old cistern. Boy, if an old mouse got in that cistern and died, you'd know it. We drank that stuff. We didn't have running water where I grew up. Well, at least until I was a teenager. And I'm telling you, some of the old cistern water was raunchy. It's a wonder we were still... I think we probably got immune to everything under the sun by drinking that stuff. We were inoculated. To keep thy, He says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So if, if what comes out of us is what's in the heart, he says you better keep it. So how do we keep the heart? Keeping the heart means to keep it within the bounds of God's holy word. If we keep the heart, we're saying, God, guide me, show me your principles, help me to make this decision. Holy Spirit, lead me in the right direction. Continually, day by day, we're asking God to lead us with his word. I'm not talking about some oozy-woozy spooky thing about uh, pretending you're led by the Holy Spirit when it wasn't the Holy Spirit at all. You see, the Holy Spirit never contradicts the word of God. And so if we follow the word of God, we'll know we're on safe ground. And to keep the heart means that if we got decisions to make, if we've got actions to decide whether we're acting right or wrong, then the word of God will be the guideline to keep it by. Purity of heart. So that's the question tonight. I guess we'd all have to ask ourselves, how pure is my heart? 
Now, if you're like most people, if you contemplate that just for a few minutes, if we got real quiet and said, okay, everybody think for a minute or two, probably your conscience or the Holy Spirit would poke you somewhere. You know if something you've been thinking about is right or wrong. You know if some of your actions have been right or wrong. And if you thought about it for a little while, there'd be something God would call your attention to. To have a pure heart, I don't know if anybody remembers this or not. Some of the older folks will. I don't think this commercial is on anymore. It's probably 100 years ago when you used to hear this commercial about ivory soap. Do you remember the commercial? They advertised ivory soap and said it's 99.44% pure. Anybody remember that? Do you? Brother Denny does. He's older than the hills. He would remember it. <laughs> I, you were alive before soap was even invented, Brother Denny, right? <laughs> I mean, they used sandpaper back in his early days <laughs> instead of soap. <laughs> 99 and 44% pure. Now, that's really pretty pure. Because most soap, you know why they used that in their commercial? Because most soap wasn't that pure. It had fragrances and oils and conditioners and, and all these other things in it. And so it, these other soaps weren't as pure. Now, if you've got a pure heart, it'll be because you've pushed out those things that made it impure. And if you've got a heart that's 99.44% pure, you'll have dove soap heart. Well, that's the kind we need. Some people need to remember that our verse said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall what? See God. Some people say, why, do, why don't I see God? Why don't I ever hear from God? Well, maybe it's a question we ought to ask ourselves, is my heart pure? Because blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Is my heart pure? Well, preacher, you're saying... I'm lost? No, but maybe your vision has been obscured by those impurities, the fragrances, and the oils, and the other things, conditioners of the world. And so as we push those out, the more pure, we'll begin to hear the voice of God. We'll hear Him speak. That still small voice is the way God speaks. He doesn't shout. A deceitful heart. The Bible says that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. A deceitful heart. It, a deceitful heart has ulterior motives. You ever been around somebody that has ulterior motives? <laughs> They'll befriend you, either to get in your pocketbook or for sexual reasons or to manipulate you in some way. That's the way a, a deceitful heart works. 1 Timothy 1.5 says... Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. That's talking about a pure heart. Matthew 15, 19 says, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. So you see, you see how the heart's affected. Why is Jesus so interested in our heart? Because he knows what can happen to this old heart. James 4, 7 in verse 8 as well, 
Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. What does it mean to be double-minded? Double-minded is when we got a little bit of mind on Jesus and a little bit of mind on this other stuff over here. We got a mind that wants to obey Jesus, but then the world comes along and tempts us to do other stuff. The Holy Spirit whispers to us to do what God wants in His will, and the devil says, come over here and do this. It'll be more fun. And that's the pure, the pure heart keeps that from happening, and that's a double mind. The pure heart involves the inner moral part of us and it also involves the outward part of us. Now sometimes people use that verse over in 1 Samuel when God was going to anoint little shepherd boy David as king and all of his bigger brothers, they all stood a lot taller than David. David was the runt of the family and God told Samuel, go down there and anoint one of, uh, one of his, one of this, what was the guy's name? Father of David, Jesse. He said, go down there and anoint one of Jesse's sons, and I'll tell you when you get there which one to anoint. And so Samuel said to his dad, Jesse, uh, he said, call in your sons. I need to talk to each one of them. And so he called in one, and God said, no, Samuel, that's not it. He said, okay, you're dismissed. Call in another. Well, that's not him. He's dismissed. He calls in all the other boys. They're all tall, big, strapping, strong boys. He got through all of them, and Samuel said, uh, well, is that all you've got? And he said, well, we've got one other boy, but he's just a little keeper of the sheep. He don't amount to much. <laughs> you know, with parents like that. <laughs> uh, by the way, you don't want to ever discourage your children by telling them they can't do this, they can't do that, they can't do the other thing. You're not, you're not smart enough, you're not strong enough. Uh, God can't use you. Don't ever, whatever, whatever you tell your kids, they're probably going to live up to it. If you tell them they're low IQ and low motivation and, and uh, all these bad things, they'll probably live up to that. But if you brag on them, I'm not talking about lying to them, I'm talking about when they do something good, Praise them for their character, not for their looks. That's why I don't care a lot for beauty contests. Because, I mean, I don't have anything to do with the way I look. I can't help it that I was born beautiful. <laughs> I hadn't won any beauty contests, I guarantee you. David was the last one. And Jesse said, well, i got one more boy, but he's just a little keeper of the sheep. And the brother said, yeah, you don't want him. He's run." Samuel said, well, I, the Lord told me to look at all of them, so I got to look at him. And he come through, and God put his finger on Samuel's shoulder and said, that's the one. Yeah. Anoint him. Samuel probably thinking, the runt? God said, yeah, that's him. <laughs> that's the one I want. And then it says that God looketh on the heart and not on the outward appearance. Now, some people use that to excuse them dressing like harlots of the world and looking like... <laughs> Hollywood and all of that stuff. That's not what he's looking on the outward appearance. That's not what he was talking about at all. He was talking about the outward abilities, the outward size, the strength. God wanted somebody that was a runt because that way God would get all the glory for putting his power upon David and giving David his wisdom and giving David his victories. It all came from God. If, 
Samuel had picked one of those other boys as big and strong, he'd think, boy, I'm somebody. I'm big and strong. That's why Samson fell into so much sin. He's trusting his own strength instead of God. And so purity involves the inside, but if the inside's pure, it'll work its way out to the outside. Saved person ought to look more saved than he did before he got saved. Hello? Yeah, that's not good preaching. Nobody likes that. <laughs> well, let's get to the second point. I've still got 15 minutes, and my second point's shorter, so we'll get done way before long-winded Aaron. The second thing we're looking at is that purity of heart opens the door to seeing the invisible. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You ever saw God? Well, let's think about that. God, Jesus is God right here, and he said that blessed are pure in heart, for they shall see God. We said, well, that's probably talking about when they die and go to heaven or they go up in the rapture at the end of time or something that, that they'll stand face to face. Well, for the one who is saved, he will see God face to face sooner or later in eternity. But wait, he's given instructions for living here on earth. So yeah, you'll see God face to face when you get to heaven if you're saved. But he's showing us how to see God now living in this life instead of in the sweet by and by in the nasty now and now. Well, how does that work? Well, I want to read you a couple of verses out of Hebrews chapter 11. I think this will make sense to you. Hebrews eleven twenty four. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years. Now, he's living in Egypt now. He's, the, he's Pharaoh's daughter, adopted. By faith, when Moses was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. For he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Now stop there just for a moment. I've got one more phrase to read. Oh, Moses brought up in Egypt, living as... Pharaoh's grandson, he's next in line for the throne. And yet the people of God who are slaves in Egypt, the Hebrews, Moses identified with them. He said, yeah, I could live over here. I could be the, I could be the ruler of Egypt. But then I've got to compromise and be against the people of God to do it. And I'd rather suffer with them with a pure heart than to have all these riches and things offered by Egypt, the pleasures of sin for a season. I'd rather be afflicted with God's people and have blessedness for hereafter. Now here's the last phrase. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. How did he see him? Moses saw God, that's what it says, seeing him who is invisible. Is God invisible? I haven't seen him, have you? If you have, don't raise your hand. You'll scare me. <laughs> He's invisible. So how do we see one who is invisible? By faith, it says he forsook Egypt. By faith, he endured as seeing him who is invisible. 
With faith's eye, we can see him who is invisible. Can you see a bodily form? No. Can you see the essence of God? No. Can you see the character of God? Yes. Can you have fellowship with God? Yes. Can you speak with God? Yes. And Moses forsook Egypt, chose to have a pure heart and live with the people of God. And it says he saw God as one who is invisible. You want to see him who is invisible? You can see him in your devotion time. When you pick up your Bible and you read the Bible and say, Lord, speak to me through this. I want to live for you. I want to have a clean heart. I want to have a pure heart, Lord. Speak to me. And you know what he'll do? <clears throat> he'll speak to you. <clears throat> you see, when you pray, you're speaking to God. And when you read the Bible, he's speaking to you. Somebody asked Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher in London one time, says, is prayer more important or reading your Bible more important? Spurgeon said, well, let me ask you, is breathing in more important or breathing out more important? I mean, we can chew gum and walk at the same time, can't we? By faith, when you witness to somebody and tell them, tell some poor lost sinner how Jesus bled and died on Calvary's cross to pay for their sins. The Bible says we're all sinners. None have been born righteous. No, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the only way to see heaven, the only way to see God face to face in eternity is to be born again by the blood of Christ. And <clears throat> if you've been born again by the blood of Christ, you will see him one day like that. But by faith, you can see him now in your devotion time, in your Bible reading time, in your prayer time, when you witness to somebody and tell them about the Lord Jesus and how he died on Calvary's cross to pay for their sins, then you can see his power working as they come to faith in Jesus Christ and they're born again like you got saved. Moses met with a life of victory after victory because his eyes were on God continually. Do we live that way? Do we live in such a way that we're looking heavenward all the time, leaning slightly forward into the things of God instead of hanging back, instead of looking for a way out of church, looking for a way into church? Instead of looking for a way to quit serving God, we're looking for a way to serve God. Instead of looking for a way to avoid God, we're looking to gaze into His eyes. Are we looking to see God? The peace that passes all understanding comes because the pure in heart. You know, when, when you, I'm fixing to close, one little story. When you come to problems in life and you meet tragedy, and it's going to happen to everybody. When some horrible thing happens, some storm comes into your life, isn't it better, <coughs> excuse me, isn't it better that you know how to look upon the face of God and trust Him to get you through that storm. If you've been a, see, what a lot of people do is wait until a storm, a tragedy comes along, and then they cry out to God. If we're walking with Him every day, then when the storm comes, it's not going to seem so unusual because we've got His face smiling on us every day. Robert Louis Stevenson tells of the storm that caught a vessel off a rocky coast and threatened to drive it and its passengers into those boulders and smash them to smithereens. And one daring young man, contrary to orders, went up to the pilot house. Man, they were scared. 
all, all of them were scared. And one young man went up to the pilot, pilot's quarters where he's steering the boat, the ship. The waves are crashing, thunder and lightning, water splashing everywhere. A young man opened the door to the pilot's cabinet and looked in, and he saw the pilot with that steering wheel, steady in his hand, steering it away from those rocks, back out to sea. And the, the captain looked over and saw the young man peering through the door at him. The captain just smiled at him and went back to steering the ship. The young man never said a word, and neither did the captain. The young man went back down to the lower deck where the rest of them were scared out of, scared out of their wits. And they said, did you see him? Did you talk to him? He said, I saw him. He said, and since I saw him, he smiled at me. And I know everything's going to be okay. And when you come to that point in your life where things are falling apart and hope looks almost gone, if you've been gazing upon the face of him who loves you and he smiles down on you, you'll know everything's going to be okay. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you bless us. Lord, as we come to this special time when we bow before you in invitation time, Lord, I, I just pray that you touch hearts. Help us, Lord, to want to see your face. Help us to want to have a pure heart that we might see your face. Lord, I pray that you just bless us in a special way. Changes would be made in our attitude and in our actions. Lord, that we'd want to have that purity of heart.